you would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts chapter 13 if you're visiting with us you can pull out that black Bible in the chair in front of you and then go towards the back of that Bible and find page 102 102 at the very bottom of page 102 you'll find uh, Acts chapter 13 we're only going to do the first 12 verses of this chapter it was hard to split up this chapter it was difficult how to do that but we'll do the first 12 verses today and then 13 through 41 next week and then finish it off two weeks from today again Acts 13 1 through 12 I'll read the passage then we'll begin our study now there were at Antioch in the church that was there prophets and teachers Barnabas and Simeon who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And when they have fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, when they reached Salamis they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews and they also had John as their helper and when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos they found a certain magician a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus a man of intelligence this man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God but Elimus the magician for thus his name is translated was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, You who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You'll be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. The article in Christianity Today began like this. Southern Baptists will cut 600 to 800 missionaries and staff. Subtitle International Mission Board overspent 210 million dollars over the last six years. The reason for, reason for the cuts? To make up for a 21 million dollar deficit for 2015. Today, Southern Baptists, who we partner with joyfully, Today, there's 4,700 missionaries on the field overseas for Southern Baptists. They're shooting for 4,200, about a 25% decline. 
I think it was probably only two, three years ago, was at, I think, 5,500. Now it's at 4,700. And they're going to, they're trying by the end of this year to get down to 4,200. This is horrendous. And it's just not with Southern Baptists. There's churches closing their doors at a rapid rate, even here in North America. A crazy rate. What do we do? How do we address this? How do we address the fact that there's a cut in missionaries, in outreach, in missions, in evangelism? What can be done? Friends, I believe our text speaks to this terrible situation for us as Southern Baptists but also for churches in general for the followers of Jesus at other churches as well this text speaks to it this text speaks to this very problem as we look at the book of Acts which is just do it be, let's be who we are let God use us to fulfill his mission today in these first 12 verses of chapter 13 we will see four vital principles for missions and evangelism. Four vital principles for missions and evangelism. Actually, I, I could even say one. And the one, from the one principle flows the other three. Four vital principles. How do we deal with the problem of missions? How do we deal with the problem of evangelism? How do you deal with problems in your life? How do you deal with problems in your relationships with others? How do you deal with problems in your marriage and in, in, at work? How do you deal with these problems? I actually believe these four vital principles will help. Actually, the first one, which is key to the other three. Let me put it in a statement for you, a couple statements. Four vital principles for missions and evangelism. When truth led Jesus worshiping prayer-devoted, missions-thinking churches faithfully and boldly proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, this good news will advance in the world. And it has to be truth-led. It has to be Jesus-worshipping, prayer-devoted, missions-thinking churches. It has to be like this. Now, I'll give you kind of the flow of the principles. They all go together. The first one being primary. Worship which will lead to missions, which will lead to the church, which will lead to gospel proclaimers. But the key one is worship. How do you deal with the problem of missions? Worship. How do you deal with the problem of evangelism? Worship. How do you deal with problems in your marriage? Worship. How do you deal with problems with your neighbor? Worship. How do you deal with problems that you have at work with a co-worker? Worship. 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 Who do you worship? It starts there. Worship to missions to church to gospel proclaimers. Uh, let me put another statement up here for you if there's a problem with missions in this church then there's a worship problem if there's a problem with missions then there's a problem with worship 
If you have a problem in your relationship, you have a problem with worship. If you have a problem with your neighbor, there's a problem with worship. If you have a problem at work, it's a worship problem. It is. It starts there. Trevin Wax says this, quote, fix the worship problem and evangelism starts coming naturally. The focus here on Acts, it's beginning to change. Before, we were looking at a, a, a Jewish Christianity, but now it's changing to a Gentile Christianity. Acts 1-7 through 7 was looking at Jerusalem. Acts 8-12 through 12 was Judea and Samaria. And now here in chapter 13 through the end of the book of Acts, it's the Greco-Roman world. Gentiles. And you have here in chapter 13 and 14, the first, what's called, known as, the first missionary journey. They visited Cyprus, Pisidian, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and then they returned to Syria. They journeyed almost 900 miles, averaging about 15 miles a day by foot. So here you have, in Antioch, a solid, well-taught, gifted, missions-minded church. It was told by the Holy Spirit to send out the first missionaries who had proclaimed the gospel and plant new churches in the Greco-Roman world. And for the first time, for the first time, a church other than Jerusalem led the way for a major missions endeavor. And it was a church as a group that, that affirmed the work that the Holy Spirit was calling Barnabas and Saul, or Paul, to. They verified it by laying their hands on them and sending them out. But this calling of Barnabas and Saul, Paul, took place during a time of worship, prayer, fasting with the prophets and the teachers. We'll look at that in a second. God, by the Holy Spirit, commanded the mission. The church responded obediently as they were devoting themselves in worship. The Spirit commanded the church, send them out. The church obeyed His command. And we're all commanded to go and proclaim the gospel. All of us. Look, if, if you are a Christian a professing Christian today, it behooves you to be a Jesus proclaimer. It is only fitting for you to proclaim Christ. But it goes deeper than just the command, friend. It goes back first to who, what, maybe, who do you worship? Well, God is the one who plans. God's the one who directs specific missions, outreach for the gospel, gospel to be proclaimed, and for new churches to be planted. And this missions outreach, it begs the commission of the local church. And it needs God's direction so that gospel proclaimers have God's power to battle the enemy so they have the power of the gospel at the forefront of their minds. And it needs the church's confirmation as the way to confirm that God is behind the whole endeavor. 
So, when it comes to actual missions work, the church is called to send people at the leading of the Holy Spirit to different ethnic people groups where the Lord Jesus Christ is not known or worshipped. This is the only way missions can be successful. It begins with the aspect of worship and we understand and we say, wait, wait. Wait, there's people in Uzbekistan who are not worshiping Jesus Christ. We've got to do something about that, man, right? We're, we're thinking that way because we love Christ and we worship Christ and He's been so gracious to us and it motivates and moves us to missions. And evangelism too. Because, same thing, we as a church are called to go among people in our own community down the street, workplace, to those who do not know or worship Jesus Christ. My neighbor is not worshiping Jesus Christ. I am worshiping and enamored with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to speak to my neighbor. I'm going to speak to my coworker. I'm going to speak to my relative. Worship starts there. Excuse me, evangelism starts there with worship. which also the thing that compels you in your relationship with your spouse which also compels you in relationship with your sibling when there's rivalry when there's conflict all different aspects of our life if you can even think of it as, as a wheel and the center of it is worship who or what you worship that will show itself in the how you live your life we're just looking at a particular aspect here missions but I'm branching it out for you in application that it affects every other area of our lives, friend. Your life and mine. These three verses, the first three verses of our chapter, are probably one of the most significant few verses in Acts. It, it's actually a blueprint on how mission should happen. Okay, so now I'll give you the, the principles. I'm actually going to give you the first three, which you first see the first three in these first three verses. Uh-huh, get three, three. You see them, and then from verses uh, 4 through 12, you see the last point. Okay, the last principle. So I'm going to give them to you. The first three verses, from the first three verses, the first three vital principles for missions and evangelism. Number one, worship drives missions. Number two, missions is driven by local churches. Number three, local churches drive gospel proclaimers. So worship, that's, that's the core. That's the center. That's the starting point. Worship, that drives missions. And when you get to missions, missions is, is driven by local churches. Local churches, are, they're the entities that are being driven to, to missions. And then what local churches do, they're the ones that are driving, they're the ones that are sending out gospel proclaimers. Worship drives mission. Mission is driven by local churches. Local churches drives gospel proclaimers. They send them out. As you Canadians say, out. So, this is the first three principles, and we see that in the first three verses. And I'm going to slowly unpack these three verses for you. We're back in Antioch. 
few miles north of Jerusalem at Antioch, the church in that place or that local church I was there this church, it was engaged in worship and fasting and we're going to look at that in a second but first I want to talk about the prophets and the teachers you can kind of see these as church leaders got those principles I'll have them up there on the screen later on too just in case you miss it so let's talk about prophets that's important given our day prophets foretell God's word and foretell the future both foretellers then provided edification exhortation correction consolation that's why when you read the prophet Isaiah who was foretelling the future and also foretelling God's word, you get exhortation, you get consolation, and you get things that are going to happen in the future, which are now done because that was in the past, blah, 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 you get that. So it makes sense if prophets are edifying and consoling and correcting, it makes sense why these would be with the teachers in the church. By the way, since you ask, each local church needed prophets and teachers as a way to teach doctrine in the church at this time because there was no New Testament. There was no New Testament. Let's go to Romans. What are you talking about? There is no Romans. It wasn't written yet. And the Old Testament didn't say anything about how specifically, how does this thing church work? So prophets were needed and teachers as they were trying to figure out how things work in this New Testament times, which is why I believe the gift of prophecy has ceased today. But there's still a need for the church to be taught the truth of God's Word. We have God's truth, the completed canon. It's closed with the New Testament written. That's why I don't believe you need prophets today. But here they are. They're, they're being exhorted and consoled and edified and taught prophets and teachers and notice something the names Barnabas notice Barnabas and Saul are the beginning and the end so they're the most important Simeon called Niger Lucius Manan Herod uh, brought up with Herod the Tetrarch interesting interesting how giftedness crossed ethnic boundary lines You see North Africans, possibly Niger, he might have been a black-skinned man from Ethiopia. He had Jews, Hellenists, Greeks. One guy grew up with Herod the Tetrarch. So in other words, gifts of the Spirit are not relegated only to certain ethnicities. The Spirit wills His gifts to whomever. So you have the church, different ethnicities in the church, mainly Gentile church. There, there's prophets and teachers there. Now notice it says, verse 2, while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting. Ministering. This word is used of a public service to benefit others. That's what it means. So if you put this together with fasting... It was a service where they were together with much prayer involved. 
I'm going to speak about fasting in just a second. But this is what's happening. They're, they're meeting together. Worshipping the Lord together. Serving and lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ together. Praying and fasting. What's fasting? Fasting is a hunger of a homesickness for Jesus. We want Him. We long. We yearn for Him. Desiring Jesus becomes first and foremost as basic as food. Notice this is why it's connected to worship. Because it's more than just the sustenance of life. It's the deepest of our longings. It's great devotion. It's, it's worship. The issue is not food per se. It's anything and everything that can be a substitute for the Savior. So fasting is not forfeiting evil, but what is good. To get hearts upon what truly matters. That's why you fast. That's why it's connected to praying, which is why it's connecting to the worship. So they're worshiping, they're fasting, they're trying to focus upon who? The Lord Jesus Christ. See, friends, this is where it begins. Things begin here. So this calling of Barnabas and Saul, it took place during a serious time of worship and focus upon the Lord. Maybe they were seeking the Lord's will for the progress of the gospel. I don't know. They were definitely seeking the Lord. They were alert. They were praying. They were devoting themselves. They were empowered by the Spirit. seems that some type of congregational worship during this time the spirit called Barnabas and Saul notice while they were ministering to the Lord and fasting the Holy Spirit said set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them separate out for or appointed to his work And notice how God called the most gifted ones out of the larger community for His special work of missions. Usually, well, seems like it, usually. Who can we get rid of? Let's get rid of that guy. I think the Lord's sending you to Africa, brother. We're going to free you up and send you to Africa. Praise the Lord. That's not happening here. What's happening is the most gifted are sent out. Well, that's awkward. Usually the best, most gifted stay here. And the not so gifted, you boot them out. Not so according to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean the most gifted cannot stay here, but it means that you have most gifted here, but send also the most gifted there. The Spirit directed the mission outreach. But the Spirit said this. Well, how exactly did He speak? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. 
Maybe it was through the prophets. Maybe could it be through the impressions made upon all of them at the same time? It's hard to say. It was something clear though. It was something pr- plain and precise. Look, what is clear is that the leaders of the church were needed to confirm what God had already decided and revealed. So the congregation noticed, it says in verse 3, then when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on him, they sent them away. They prayed and fasted some more. And after laying their hands on them, they sent them out, releasing them for the task. So in other words, they're worshiping. The Spirit somehow directed them to send out Barnabas and Saul, and they said, we got to worship some more. That was their automatic obedient response. we got to worship some more, and then they laid their hands on them, not in the sense of ordaining them, that's not what's happening here. But as a way to commission them, releasing them from their responsibilities at Antioch, as a way to show their prayerful support for them. Now, did the church give to them financially? It doesn't say. I would probably bend more on the side that they didn't, rather than they did. But we don't know. This is what we do know. Antioch was a church that had a heart to reach the world as they drew near to God because worship drives missions. The first planned overseas missions trip carried out by representatives of the Antiochian church, not just anybody, the best in the group of leaders, and notice, it was a deliberate church decision the church collectively decided to do this this was not someone doing something solo within the church I'm just going to go do that no, the church decided this together as a deliberate decision we're going to send him out send them out as one writer puts it quote Effective Christian leaders will see the need to discern God's gifting for ministry and others to support and where necessary train those whom God is leading to local ministry or mission elsewhere and to affirm them by acts of commissioning. That's what the church is supposed to do. In other words, it behooves us as a church that we understand we are the ones who send out missionaries. Not some mission agency. Not frontiers. Not the International Mission Board. Or anyone else for that matter. Now, yes, I get mission agencies that come alongside of us. I get that and understand that. But what's happened is we get this mentality that, oh, they're the ones that are sending them out. Uh-uh. Churches plant churches. Duh. But it starts not at a mission agency. It doesn't start with just Christians. Let's just go plant the church. It starts with us worshiping. That's where it begins. We must understand missions comes within the context of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's a problem with missions in this church, then there's a problem with worship. 
and let's extend it out. If you struggle with evangelism, it's a worship problem. If there's conflicts within a relationship, it's a worship problem. That's what it, it, it starts there, friends. We have to understand it starts what we see as most important because as God has been so gracious to us and we're worshiping Him for His grace and His compassion, I'm going to talk about the thing that I love most, right? I'm going to focus on the thing that, and the person I love most, right? And if I love Christ, I'm just going to speak about Him to others. If I love Christ, I'm going to show that same grace and that relationship that I'm struggling with. You see what I mean? So is the problem with the International Mission Board a problem with missions? Absolutely not. The problem is a worship problem. We solve the worship problem among Southern Baptist churches and the missions problem will be solved. Worship drives missions. Because remember, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. That's John Piper, and I agree with him. Missions exist because worship among the unsaved does not exist. So worship is the thing that fuels missions. Worship is the thing that is the goal for missions. Because there's people in Uzbekistan who are not worshiping Christ. And we're here worshiping Christ, His, His gracious kindness to us in Jesus, where we should be condemned we should be burning in hell right now, and yet He's gracious to us. We're actually sitting in a building that has air conditioning, although I'm really hot right now, I'm sweating. But you hopefully are comfortable, because I'm moving around. Stop moving around, clown. So you're sitting there, we're in a comfortable area. That's God's grace to you, just His grace. Because of Jesus Christ, who lived and died for sinners, praise His name. And we worship Him. And that's the thing that's going to drive me. I'm going to be gracious in my relationships with others because He's been so gracious to me. I'm going to speak about Him to others because He's been so gracious to me. It's a worship deal, friends. Trevin Wax, one more time. Lack of mission is rarely a knowledge problem. It's a worship problem. We don't have any trouble talking about the things we love most. Hey, how about those Arizona Cardinals? Yeah! Mm -hmm. Whenever we find something worthy of attention, he says, we talk about it. The same is true of our relationship with Christ. The more we are in awe of His worthiness, the more likely we are to speak of Him to others and serve others in His name." End quote. Prayer, devotion, that is worship to the Lord plays the vital role in missions, outreach, and, and everything else too. This church in Antioch, it, it devoted, it was devoted to outreach. It was, it was huge, huge. 
one writer says this quote God loves churches that look beyond their own needs and it happens because they're worshiping the gracious merciful God we glory in our Redeemer we glory in the cross we glory in our redemption and we just want to speak about it and we want to serve others in his name So, let's review class. Worship drives missions. Mission is driven by local churches. <clears throat> so they're worshiping. There's a heart for missions. Missions, they want to send someone out. So it's the local church that's doing it. And local churches, they're the ones that are driving gospel proclaimers. And now, fourth principle. Gospel proclaimers are driven by the gospel. Hmm, take this all the way back to worship. Circular type thing. Gospel proclaimers, they're so driven by the gospel of grace and they understand its power and they proclaim the gospel because it is the power of God. Because that what you see here from verses 4 through 12, a conflict between the gospel, or excuse me, the power of the evil one and the gospel of grace. Gospel proclaimers are driven by the gospel. Verse 4. Notice Luke makes it clear again. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit went to Seleucia. Antioch is about 16 miles from Seleucia. Dropped down to Seleucia. Then they journeyed from Seleucia to Cyprus which is 60 miles. They sailed there. This is Barnabas's crib. This is his hometown. Buddy, what's up? Cyprus had many groups of people. We spoke about that a few weeks ago. A couple weeks ago, Egyptians, Phoenicians, Greeks, Assyrians, Persians, even people from India were there in Cyprus. And it wasn't the first evangelistic effort what they were doing here. There was some activity um, from Jerusalem, maybe in Antioch, in chapter 11. But it was only to Jews. They wind it out to Gentiles. Notice it says, verse 5, reach Salamis, that's on the east side of the island. They began, or they're proclaiming the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. This became, this was Saul's custom. Starting the Jewish synagogues, in the synagogues, there were places of teaching, prayer, worshiping, reading of the Old Testament. Notice, as John Mark is their helper, he was their assistant. Maybe he was preaching too. He was there for support. So they went from, if you're looking on a map, Salamis, they went all the way down to Paphos, there in Cyprus, on the island. It says there in verse 6, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet, his name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. This Jewish false prophet they found, magician. His name was Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus or son of Joshua. <laughs> That's ironic. His other name, Elimus, it means wisdom. Even more ironic. You're going to see a face-off between this magician and the one who knew the true power and wisdom of God. And Acts is the only place where you see a false prophet. 
And the fact that he practiced magic, it showed that he was an apostate Jew because magic was forbidden, violated, and violating the Old Testament law. Maybe he was a court astrologer. Definitely used certain incantations, formulas, amulets for healing, to look for signs. He was with Sergius Paulus, the proconsul, because he was probably his advisor, one of his advisors. Notice that Sergius Paulus, he was an intelligent man, educated, a proconsul. Proconsuls were Roman magistrates who headed the government in a senatorial province. No troops were needed there because it was a senatorial province. But notice it says he was curious about Barnabas and Saul. So curious, he sought to hear the word of God from them. Look at verse 8. But Elimus the magician, for thus his name was taken to mean. He was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. He would not have it. He opposed, possibly because his own position was at stake. Well, if he becomes a Christian, he's not going to be asking me for any advice then. Well, I don't want that to happen. I'll be out of a job. I don't know. We're going to find out more about this guy in a moment. Interesting, it says, wanting to turn the proconsul away from the faith. The faith meaning the body of beliefs, the, the, the collection of beliefs spoken by Barnabas and Saul. So Elimus tried to prevent Sergius from embracing the truth. Friends, listen. There will be people who will be antagonistic to the truth, who will try to turn others away from the truth, from the gospel. They oppose God's good news and they oppose His messengers. They will oppose you. They don't like gospel proclaimers. They don't like you. And they don't like me. This is why. Worship must be the principle that drives missions, that drives local churches towards mission, that has local churches send out gospel proclaimers, that has gospel proclaimers who are driven by God's great grace. It's the love of God that compels me. Because if you're not compelled by God's grace, worship, then you will come face to face, face to face with this opposition and you will crumble. Worship has to be the focus. Let's go even farther. If you think you're going to have uh, just things go hunky-dory and peachy-keen in your relationship that you're having a conflict with, but you don't see it as an issue of worship, friend, it's not going to happen. Only the gospel of grace can bring peace. It's the only thing. Notice, Saul picks up on this, verse 9. Saul, also known as Paul, who I will now call Paul from now on, his Roman name versus his Jewish name, in a Gentile context, so the name shift is noteworthy. Notice it says, Paul, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was dominated by the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. It's the Spirit's, he received the Spirit's in special enabling to confront a satanically inspired deceiver and opponent of the gospel. 
Notice the names that he gives delineates Elimus's hatred for the truth of the gospel. Fixing his gaze, he said, You who are full of deceit. Deception because he wanted to get a little bit of more money, possibly. Full of deceit and fraud, villainy, unscrupulousness. In other words, he was a con man. You son of the devil. Versus his name meaning son of Jesus, son of Joshua. Enemy of all righteousness. Will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? You, you make crooked God's straight, God's upright ways. Elimus, he was a perverter of truth. He had to stop resisting the truth and the straight path and submit himself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul picked up on that big time. And notice what he says. Verse 11. Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You'll be blind and not see the sun for a time. He would experience blindness, temporary blindness, as a way to show God's true power and true truth. His dark mind led to his dark sight, which was exactly what happened and immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him and he went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. As he was blind to truth, blinding others, he would truly be blind now. And friends, this is not just a judgment miracle. It's a miracle that shows the great ultimate power of God over the evil one and how the powerful word of the gospel will always amaze people and will always overcome falsity. That's what the gospel does. So, gospel proclaimer, you never underestimate the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. Never underestimate the power of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. 116, Romans 116. The power of God in your life, in your lives with others, in your relationship with each other, in relationship within a church, outside the church, all different venues. It is the power of God. Do not, let us not underestimate the power of the gospel which is what I do every day. Don't you? Praise God, judgment came with mercy. It was only temporary blindness. The thought being he would see his evil ways and repent and embrace the truth. Notice how his helplessness such a major contrast to his arrogance just a few moments before. Friends, listen. If, if we are not sent out with gospel drive, or you could even put worship drive, then we will not be able to stand up against the seats of the evil one. You won't be able to do it. 
you won't be able to have peace in that relationship. You won't be able to have that reconciliation with that neighbor or that coworker. You won't be able to have that reconciliation with that sibling or with that relative. You, you, you won't have that, uh, that conflict resolved in marriage. You, you won't have it because the evil one will dominate you. You must be driven by the gospel. You must be driven by worship. Because the evil one does not want us to speak truth, the good news of Jesus. He will stop at nothing to make sure the truth is resisted and opposed in your life. He hates us. You cannot mix truth with error. You can't bring singletons. You can't, can't embrace the truth and reject it. You can't do both. I mean, that doesn't make sense. Are, are you here today and not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? I, I'm, I'm speaking to you. You cannot just add the Lord Jesus to your life. You must turn away. You must repent of your sin and put your trust in Jesus. Understand that you deserve His judgment, His wrath. You should be condemned right now, but God is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger. He shows His grace to you and the Lord Jesus Christ who came, He was perfect, He died as a substitute for sinners, He was resurrected physically from the dead. Repent, put your trust in Jesus. He will save you. He will have compassion on your soul. That's the gospel. By the way, as a side note, some Christians think they need some demonstration of God's power in order to remove obstacles to faith or enable conversions like Paul does here. These instances and acts are very rare though. They're not a necessary part for the gospel to make progress because the gospel is the power of God, friends. It's the gospel. That's the power of God. And notice how powerful it is. Look at verse 12. The proconsul believed. When he saw what happened, he was amazed at the, at, the, at the judgment miracle that Paul did. No. No. What was he amazed at? The teaching of the Lord. When he saw what happened, amazement not at the judgment miracle, not at the fact that this man was blinded for a time. He was amazed at God's teaching. about us doing some kind of miraculous sign the gospel stands on its own it's ironic how this Roman Gentile responds but this Jew rejects the message interesting and you see at least interesting as well we see at least two different kinds of people we're going to deal with those who are antagonistic to the gospel and those who are more open to the gospel And it was the Lord Himself who enabled Sergius to respond to the gospel. And as you're dealing with other people, as a gospel proclaimer, you're going to find people who are antagonistic to the gospel. Some will be more open to the gospel. But what is the thing that's going to advance the gospel in this world? It's when truth-led, Jesus-worshipping, prayer-devoted, mission-stinking churches faithfully and boldly proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they have worship. I'll put it up here on the screen. I think I have it. Oh, yeah. Worship is the thing that's going to drive missions. Evangelism. It's the thing that 
missions, this thing is driven by local churches. Local churches that want to send out gospel claimers, gospel claimers, they're driven by the gospel. That's the, that's the process. If we have a missions problem, if you have a relationship problem, the problem is worship. That's where it begins. I'll let you take a few moments to think and ponder. We'll have a few moments of silence. For you to think and ponder what we've seen in God's Word here in Acts 13. Take some moments of prayer, devoting yourself to prayer. Maybe praying for that relative, friend, neighbor. Maybe praying for that conflict that you have with spouse or friend. Praying that God will help you to focus, to worship Him, and to praise Him for His glorious grace to you. So take a few moments of silence, and then we'll do our time of giving with our last two songs and our closing prayer.